0: It is a blessing to have everyone with us this morning and today is a special day as we will uh, have the privilege of participating in baptism here today. We have one individual who will be baptized near the end of the service today and then we have two individuals in our second service who will be baptized. So it's a privilege to be able to do that, uh, to be able to celebrate God's work in individuals' lives. One of the Things that is sometimes lost on our culture today is the fact that God still has the ability to redeem and to transform, and He has been doing it, and He will continue to do it until the day that He returns. So it is our privilege today to celebrate the fact that God is still doing that work. This week, I had the opportunity to sit down for a little bit and simply reflect on some of the brokenness within our world. It wasn't that I set out to see how broken our world was Instead, it was sort of in my face. Uh, Early in the week, I was walking with a family through a medical crisis. Early along with that, I met with another family who was emotionally and relationally falling apart. I turned on the news, and there were two separate headlines that caught my attention. The first was the devastating wildfires that have taken place in California, where dozens and dozens of people have lost their lives, and many others have lost all of their possessions. The second news story that caught my attention was one of violence and of murder. As I contemplated these things, I couldn't help but think how far we have fallen. And this falling isn't something that's new, but it's absolutely something that continues to progress or digress depending on how you look at it very rapidly. In the summer of 2017, USA Today interviewed 1,000 people of various ages. Three-fourths of those polled agreed that the world was better off in the 1980s than we are today. What intrigues me about that poll is that many of those who were polled weren't even alive in the 1980s. They simply have heard about how things used to be. Probably from family members or teachers, and they realize that while we may have access to many things that perhaps we didn't have back then, we might have been better off in the simplicity of what once was. Well, I would agree with their assessments, but I want to take things a step further. You see, we are not the first group of people to feel this way. In fact, I think it's pretty safe to assume that the very first people to think that way would have been Adam and Eve. Can you imagine how badly they wanted to return to the good old days? Genesis 3 verses 1 through 7 reveals what the good old days must have been like and what disrupted those good old days. It also gives us a glimpse of these good old days as perhaps what we may see somewhere down the road. This is God's gift to humanity, and it is very good. Let's take a look at it here in Genesis 3, verse 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? As we look at that passage, it's a familiar passage because it's one that we even talk about when we're growing up in church, maybe as children in children's church or at a vacation Bible school. We know the story of Adam and Eve, but there are so many things within this passage that ought to speak to us. The first thing that I want you to see is that God had given Adam and Eve everything that they ever could have needed. He told the first man, feel free to eat any tree in this garden, any tree that is except for one. Know that healthy, protective love always gives boundaries. Some people say, why did God even plant that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden if he knew that Adam and Eve were going to eventually choose to eat it in spite of their warning?" From the very beginning, God allowed his children the ability to disobey or to obey. For without that, no one can truly choose God. What kind of relationship would we have if it were a forced relationship? Now compare what God gave them with what he declared off limits. They could enjoy many, many trees. In fact, everything that was there, all the wonderful fruit, but you would need to avoid just one tree. The Hebrew conveys it this way in Genesis 2.16, you may freely eat. Today we might say eat to your heart's content as much as you want. The New King James Bible study Bible notes that God gives permission before giving restriction. We have a generous God Sometimes we focus only on his restrictions, thinking that he holds back all of the good stuff, yet his commands are not burdensome, but they are for our own good. And we're like the children that sulk when our dad says we can't play in the road, even though we have a huge fenced-in yard all around us. But God, there's so many things I can't do. Consider all the blessings that God gave this couple. Not only did they have a ton of food, they had productive work to take care of the garden, to tend to everything that was there. They had God's presence as he walked with them every day in the cool of the day, according to Genesis 3, verse 8. And they had all of this forever, as indicated by the presence of the tree of life. They had everything that they needed. They should have been nothing but grateful the psalmist would later write in Psalm 84 for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor and no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Can you imagine being Adam and Eve walking in paradise, never needing anything? How amazing must that have been? The Lord is their son He is their shield. He bestows favor and honor on them, withholding nothing good. Yet they were not content. I guess the idea was that there must be something better out there. I know it seems like we've got all we need here, but what if we're missing something? The irony is that everything that they sought, everything that they wanted, was already available to them. The serpent informs them that they will be like God if they will eat from this tree. But the truth is, they were already like God. I'm not saying that they were God, but think about this. As long as they were in this Garden of Eden, they would live forever. Only God himself is eternal. For everything else has a beginning, but they had no end as long as they stayed there. They had access to all the knowledge you could ever want as God walked with them and talked with them in the garden. They didn't need to eat from some tree to be able to experience knowledge. All they had to do was to go and to ask God who walked there in their midst. But for some reason, there was this idea that perhaps there was something that they were missing, that maybe if they had it, they would be better off. What God had given them was very good already. Yet they believed the lie that what they had was not good enough. Moving back to our time period, Adam and Eve would not be the last ones to make this mistake. In fact, we live in a culture that is constantly trying to improve on what we already have. And certainly there are some things that we are grateful that we have today that previous generations didn't have access to. I think of medical technologies. There are individuals who will go through various sicknesses or injuries, and our first concern is, are they going to make it? But to doctors and nurses, they think we do this all the time. We've got equipment that previous generations didn't have. We have abilities. We have medicines. We have all of these great things that were previously unavailable. Obviously, we are grateful that we have those things. I think of and maybe this is just me being a little selfish. selfish, I think of things like air conditioning. I see some of y'all fanning yourselves, but I'll tell you what, if, it wasn't, if there wasn't a heater, you would have known that it was cold today. I think we used to have those big, uh, big units that would set inside of a church, and everybody would try to gather in as close as they could to the heater when the pastor stood up to preach. Or you'd open up the windows and everybody would be fanning themselves constantly. Man, I love some of the technologies that we have. I love many of the things God has given to us. But let's face it, there are things that dominate our culture today that never would have been an issue in the past. For example, fear and division dominate our culture. I don't know if it's just an ignorance is bliss kind of thing, but maybe we were better off not knowing what other people were doing and what they were thinking. The advent of certain technologies has led to an overload of information leading to an increase of these things. Our culture has become so polarized people feel empowered to fight with one another and instead of loving one another we feel the need to stand up to one another on everything. And God forbid that somebody thinks something different than you or me. We will need to set them straight. Even sin and immorality have taken a more prominent role. It shouldn't surprise anyone that sin is ever increasing within our society. But what concerns me is the ever increasing acceptance of sin within the church. I'm not talking about out there, I'm talking about in here. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 through 4, warns us about this. It says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And the saddest part of this is this is happening right before our eyes. It's not not hard to find someone who will say what our itching ears want to hear. And unfortunately, for the most part, the body of Christ remains silent when they see it. We don't want to offend anybody, so we'll just keep quiet. Or perhaps we just don't realize that what's being said is not truly based on Scripture because it sounds good and it sounds like it fits our culture. Whatever the reason, the church for far too long has remained silent. The point is that this idea that things weren't good enough Has carried great consequences. With Adam and Eve, it obviously carried great consequences, but it does as well for us. The world seems intent on self destruction, and we're doing a pretty good job of it. And I echo the thoughts that Adam and Eve must have had when I say good grief. Now, anytime I hear that phrase, my mind goes back to Charlie Brown. I remember as a kid reading Charlie Brown and watching the cartoons and all of that, and it's that time of year, I was looking at a list of all the Christmas programs coming up and all the specials, and Charlie Brown shows up there over and over and over again. Charlie Brown would say good grief about everything. What was he thinking, and what were we thinking? In the case of Adam and Eve, they felt the consequence of their action almost immediately. They felt shame over their nakedness. They felt guilt over their sin, even hiding from God. They felt regret as they were punished by God. Genesis 3:16 to 19 records God's judgment against them. It's basically the sentencing portion of their trial. But it would get worse. It wasn't just that they would be removed from paradise, that they would no longer have access to all that they had there in the garden. Once they left this paradise where sin and shame and guilt and regret had never previously existed, they discovered a new depth of sorrow and regret. Genesis 4 tells the story of the first murder among humanity. It was one of Adam and Eve's sons who killed another son. Can you imagine the heartbreak that they felt? Not only were they devastated by the actions of this one son over another, but they also had to feel some kind of blame. I mean, if if they had just been content with what they had, this never would have happened. You think they ever thought to themselves, I wish we could just go back to the good old days. I wish we could go back to before sin and sorrow and death entered our world. Instead, they sat in their grief. Well, maybe you think this is a depressing message, and I will tell you that if I stopped here, it probably would be. But What if I also told you that there is a way to go back to the way things used to be. Would you be interested? What if the same joy and peace and blessing which Adam experienced prior to the fall were available to you? I want you to know that it is. We can know God's joy, peace, and blessing once more. In fact, there's an interesting parallel where the Bible begins and where it ends. It obviously begins in the Garden of Eden with the tree of life feeding and sustaining all of mankind. But by the time we come around to the book of Revelation, we see that we have returned to the garden. And Revelation 22 describes the beauty of this garden, noting the presence of the tree of life. It would seem that God's intention is to bring us back to the good old days. All the way from the very beginning, there was this plan that we would be able to walk and talk with God. To live forever. And here at the end, in Revelation 22, specifically in verse 2, it identifies the presence of once again the tree of life. It's important for us to know that there is only one way back. To the good old days. Josh, I think you want to probably head over to get Eli about this time. Sorry. Eli is going to be baptized and he's going to um, get ready for that. But part of the reason why I did that at this point is because the reason we're going to baptize Eli is because he has discovered the way back to the good old days. And it is through Jesus Christ alone. Romans 3.23 says, the wages of sin is death. The human condition is 100% fatal. You will die unless the Lord comes back soon. And yet early on, God promised a solution. In Genesis chapter 3, just beyond our passage today, in verse 15, God promises one to come, an offspring of Adam and Eve, and that one is Jesus Christ. Christ. Jesus reverses the curse of sin and death. Let me close with a question that God asked Adam and Eve after they had sinned and hidden from God. Where are you? Of course, God knew where they were in that moment. They were hiding because they had recognized that they were naked and they heard the voice of God and he cries out to them, where are you? But he also asks that question of us. And the purpose is to get us to understand where we are. Where are you with God's plan to pay for your sins? You see, Christ came as a sacrifice. The wages of sin is death. Christ said, I will pay the price for your sin. I will die so that you don't have to. But here's the deal. Now all you've got to do is respond to that grace. And as you respond to that grace, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. And you become a recipient of the promise of eternal life. You also have the opportunity to be transformed, not just then, but even now. What an incredible privilege that is for us, an honor for us to be redeemed in this life so that we can walk in victory. We don't have to be enslaved by sin and death, but rather we we can have that same peace and joy even now that Adam and Eve once experienced. You see, I told you that the Holy Spirit will come and dwell in you. And one of the things that made Eden such a beautiful place was the fact that God came and he would walk and talk with them in the cool of the day. Well, now what God has done is he has made it possible for his Holy Spirit to dwell in you all the time. What an incredible privilege that is for us. We can experience what God offered to Adam and Eve once again. But it cannot happen if we remain in the sin that once so easily entangled us. We must choose whether we will respond to his grace or we will continue down the path that will lead to disappointment, to regret and to shame, and eventually to death. Maybe you think to yourself, I got plenty of time, I'm good. We're about to do a baptism for a a little boy who is... Very young still. In fact, looking around the room, he is going to be the youngest one in this room. Maybe. Here's the point. It would seem that he's got a lot of time to worry about all this stuff, but nobody is guaranteed tomorrow. We're not even guaranteed the rest of today. My goal is not to scare you into a moment of repentance, but for you to realize that at any moment, God could choose to come home or to call us home. And when that time comes, we must be ready. This is very much about the pursuit of happiness. That has been the theme for this month as we have been working through this series. I'm going to tell you, you will never experience true happiness and contentment without first finding Christ in your life. If you want that, it is available to you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, Lord, we are grateful for the salvation that has come to us. We're grateful for your forgiveness. We're grateful for the peace and the joy and all of the blessing that you offer to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to seek you with all that we have and all that we are. With every eye closed, every head bowed, I just want to ask right now, maybe there's someone in here today Who does not have a right relationship with Jesus Christ and maybe today you realize the need for surrender you've been looking for happiness you've been looking for peace and you simply cannot find it only Jesus Christ can bring that if that's you would you just raise your hand I want to be able to pray specifically for you I'm not going to embarrass you but I want to give you that opportunity thank you anyone else Father, I pray right now specifically for the individual who raised his hand. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come in and that you would grant him all of the blessing that was offered to Adam and Eve. Lord, I pray that you would give him the presence of a holy God in his life every moment walking forward. I pray that you would help him. To know that you are there with him and that your grace is sufficient and that you have offered him forgiveness and that from this moment forward, the sins of the past no longer identify him. But it is the future, the promise of eternal life, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in him that defines him. I pray now that you would be honored as we partake in baptism in just a few moments. I pray that you would help us to be reminded of what you have done for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.